Well, another week has gone by, and we have a chance to have another installment in our series, Going the Right Way in a Wrong Way World. We've already worked about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount, or we will after this message. We've heard how the first step in going the right way in a wrong way world is always seek to glorify God. We've learned that we need to have more than a superficial attitude towards His guidelines and His rules. And that people-pleasing adds to stress instead of diminishing it. Today's message is called, The One Where Jesus Calls Stuff Worthless. I thought that was an apropos title for what Jesus has to say today. It's in Matthew chapter 6, uh, 18 through 34. It's the passage that Mike just read for us. In order to help you understand what I mean by stuff, I want to tell you a little story. It's the story of why I did not purchase a ballistic vest. I was uh, working in Kansas City, and uh, I know most of you don't know this much about Kansas City, but the bulk of my job was between Prospect and Paseo. There were only two streets in the entire United States at the time where you could get dead faster than on Prospect and Paseo. And our company, responding to the reply, the request of some of our employees, uh, arranged for a purchase of a certain number of ballistic vests. And they got a good good deal from a good company. They were, it was a very reputable company, and they were going to pay it out through a payroll deduction over time so you could get it without really feeling much pain financially. And I was considering getting it and leaning away from it uh, when one of the younger guys asked me. He says, you think I should get one of those vests? And I said, well, this is, this is my feedback on it. First, we have a policy that the ambulances are not to enter a dangerous scene until the police have secured it. And I don't want to see that policy go away. And I'm afraid some of the younger guys are still in that gung-ho phase of their career where they want to be a superhero and they may put too much faith in that vest. Second, I looked at the specs for the vests and the manufacturer guaranteed it would stop any bullet except something fired from a semi-automatic weapon or a 9mm, which were the two most common <laughs> characteristics of the guns we were facing. Third, I said, what position do we usually work in? He said, what? I said, physically, when we're working on somebody, aren't we usually bent over? Does that vest cover the part that's sticking up the most? He, he laughed. I said, the bigger reason is because I see a lot of guys that think if they wear a ballistic vest, that somehow that vest makes them themselves bulletproof. And they're depending on that vest for a level of security that it doesn't provide. And so I opted not to purchase a ballistic vest. I see the same thing happening a lot today. There's a lot of people that are putting a lot of faith into things that they shouldn't. A lot of trust into things that aren't trustworthy. And I know that I'm going to get booed off the stage by somebody for this first one, but I'm telling you, the paper masks are not helping us. Okay? I had a long talk with a nurse just this week about paper masks and how paper masks are designed to be used in an already sterile environment. To be used for a short period of time, every hospital I know of has a policy that once that procedure goes a certain number of minutes, you change your mask. 
I just believe that, I, now listen to what I'm saying for, carefully here. I'm not saying don't wear paper masks. If that's what you have and that's what helps you feel like you're protected, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying that it's not really where our security is, and hopefully as we move through this message, you'll understand where I think the security should be. I'm going to make some other people angry too because this next one where people get a, a false sense of security is really going to rile some people up. Their political party. In our nation, almost every person that I know believes that their political party is providing them with a sense of security. Either you're a liberal and you think that your political party is going to guarantee you an income and a certain level of living, or you're a conservative and you believe your political party is going to protect you from having people taken what you've already got away from you. In both cases, it's a very weak security. Uh, this is one of my favorite ones because I got a story to go with this too. The, the healthcare industry, uh, particularly health insurance. I can remember it was 1982 when I went to work for a, a company that wanted me to sign up to choose between a health maintenance organization or a, a health insurance plan. And all the people in the company wanted me to sign up for the health maintenance organization because after all, they will make sure you stay healthy. How's that worked out for us? The price of insurance is quadrupled in the best cases and the health, our level of health is not improved. Health insurance doesn't guarantee physical health. Here's another one, okay? I promised I'd upset everybody this morning. What about the alarm system? We have an alarm on this church, and we use it occasionally still. But every crook in the world knows that that alarm system is not going to stop somebody from breaking in. It was the system that we used to have, I won't name names on the recording, but uh, the company we used to be with uh, would call the police for us when that alarm went off. But I was lucky enough, or unlucky enough, I guess, to be here one day when the alarm went off. It was a false alarm, but I couldn't get to it right away to shut it off, and it was 30 minutes before that alarm company called me to ask if I was okay. And every crook in the world knows that most of those alarm companies have a call list where they have to call you first, and the vast majority of people put their home phone number on it first. So that Crook can break in, and now he's guaranteed. No cop's going to show up until that phone rings. And they can steal a lot in 30 minutes. Your home security system might actually make you less secure. These are specifics. I think every person in the United States falls into this leaning on the wrong thing for security at some point. And the, the biggest category that I see people leaning on um, is a little harder to define. So this morning, I'm just calling it stuff. And I can't tell you the number of times I've heard somebody say, well, I'm not going to throw that stuff away because I might need it someday. I'm not going to, I'm going to keep that because it might come back into style. Sometimes it does. Okay? The, the, the person who says, well, I'm not going to throw away my VHS tapes because they might come back into vogue. And since I'm in the mood to upset people today, let's not talk about women's shoes. 
Ooh, I'm going to get shot for that one. Um, I think this really is the topic that Jesus had in mind in our passage today. As we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, what Jesus is basically saying is security and stuff don't go together. He starts out by talking to people who already have enough stuff. People who have some security in the resources that they have for themselves. And he talks about a passion for accumulation. He says, don't, don't do that. Don't store up for yourself treasure on earth, he says. Where moths and rust break in. I'm sorry, where moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And that's good advice. Because in our lifetimes, we've seen the crash of 2008. And laying up our treasures on earth did not bring a lot of people security. Many people lost their entire retirements over that crash. He says, instead, lay up your treasure in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves can't break in to steal. The thief's part is easy because they don't have a stepladder long enough to get up there where they can get to it. But the rust and destruction might raise an eyebrow. How can something be destroyed or rust in heaven? Well, that's the point. It's a different kind of treasure. So when you lay it up in heaven, you don't, you don't have to worry about it wearing out or becoming faulty. And then he ends that paragraph by saying, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I'm one of those grammar nerds, so I looked that up, and where your treasure is, is present tense, where it is right now, where you're putting your treasure, is where your heart will be in the future. What you invest in will eventually become your focus. And then he throws in this statement that for years I thought was rather difficult to understand, especially trying to fit it into the context. He talks about this light source. He says, your eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. Well, I studied physiology in college, and I know that the light only goes back to the back of your eyes, and then it's nerves from there on, so I didn't really know what that meant. He goes on to say that if your eye is bad, notice he didn't say unhealthy, bad, then your body will be full of darkness. And I did what a good Bible student does, I hope, I went and cross-referenced, and I found out that when the Jewish people, the people that Jesus was talking to on the mountain, talked about the eye, frequently in the Old Testament, that was a metaphor for their reaction to people around them. A person with a good eye, a Hebrew metaphor, was a person who went into a community and noticed when there were people who had needs. They planned for the guy who was standing on the corner asking for alms. They were ready to help. A person with a good eye was charitable. But a person with a bad eye could walk into a community and it wasn't like they intentionally ignored everyone. It was that they didn't even notice. They could walk all the way through, through town and not realize that there were people that he had walked right past 
who had a need. So when Jesus says, lay your treasure up in heaven, and where your treasure is, your heart will follow, he goes straight in to take care of the people around you who have a need. And that's laying up for yourself a treasure in heaven. The next paragraph talks about two masters. You cannot serve two masters, or either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other one. You cannot serve both God and, in the English Standard Version, like Mike read earlier, and money. The King James Version, years ago, has the word mammon there. I've always wondered about that. I went looking for it a couple of times, and this week I found a definition for that word that intrigued me. First, I found out that it's not Jewish. It's not Hebrew. It's not Greek. It's Chaldean. It is the Chaldean word for confidence. And it was pronounced by the Hebrew people, mammon, because it was pronounced by the Chaldean people, mammon. Of course, they had their accents that I can't reproduce. What Jesus is saying, you can't have confidence in both God and your worldly treasure. The one you trust the most is the one your heart will follow. And if you've got resources, you might actually be in tremendous jeopardy. He goes on then to talk for the rest of this passage to the people who have too little stuff. And he starts out with a very blunt statement. He says, just don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will wear. Which was the common anxieties for people in their day. They didn't really know where tomorrow's food was coming from. He taught us to pray for tomorrow's food in the, in the Lord's Prayer. But he says, don't be anxious about it. Uh, anxiety is more than just a planning ahead. Anxiety is that worry, that stressing out that won't go away. It's not saying, don't think about it at all. Just don't let that be all you think about. And he illustrates. He goes on to look around the mountain for a, a, something that they would understand. And he, he sees the birds over there. And he points at the birds and says, you see those birds? They don't sow seeds. They don't reap grain. And they don't go hungry either. Because God the Father feeds them. Aren't you more important than a bunch of birds? Can't you trust him for your food? He looks the other direction and sees a, a, a beautiful patch of lilies. That's why I think it was probably springtime, because most lilies bloom in the spring. He looks at this beautiful patch of lilies and says, Consider the flowers, how they grow. And yet, they don't toil. Toil means to work up a sweat. They don't sew, they don't spin yarn, they don't create clothes, but yet they're more resplendent than even Solomon, who was the richest man in history and had the finest clothes that money could buy because God takes care of them. God provides for them. Even though they are flowers that are here today and tomorrow you're going to use it to heat up your oven. They're that little value in God's eyes. Aren't you of much greater value? 
Then Jesus begins to summarize what he's saying here when he gives a call to trust that most of us have seen. If you're on Facebook at all, this shows up about every other day from somebody's meme or picture or, or quotation. It's verses 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God. Interesting phrase. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew usually uses the word kingdom of heaven. He usually says kingdom of heaven because to use the word God, to speak it out loud was an offense to Jews. This is one of the only three or four times in the book of Matthew where the phrase kingdom of God occurs. And I think it's chosen specifically because it's setting specifically where we invest our lives apart from what's here on earth. It's not just something in the future. It's right now. So we're, he says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right way to live. And all these things will be added to you. What things? Well, what came right before it? Food, drink, clothing, their definition of the daily necessities of life. And don't forget that that's a promise. More than a promise, it's a conditional promise. If Jesus' followers will consider themselves first members of the kingdom of God and seek to live the right way he's defined, then he's promising you will have enough food, you will have enough clothing, and you will have enough to drink. Remember, they lived in a desert land. He sums up the entire passage by saying, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be freaked out, we would say today, about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Look, tomorrow's got more than enough stuff to deal with. Wait till tomorrow gets here to deal with it. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Um, another way to say it is, you got enough to think about today. Why add tomorrow's troubles? So I think Jesus would agree with me that the ballistic vest does not make you bulletproof. I think Jesus would say that a great credit rating doesn't make you wealthy. That a big bank account and lots of cash does not make you secure. And a big bunch of bonds does not make you important. These are the wrong places to put our security. What Jesus is asking for in this passage is that you relax. That's the opposite of anxiety. Relaxed, calm, peaceful, tranquil. He's saying, do today what needs to be done. Do what's in front of you. Don't freak out about tomorrow. It's okay to plan carefully when it's possible, but as you plan, you have to consider that you are also a member of God's kingdom and that the investment you make in the kingdom of heaven cannot be taken away from you. It's permanent. And as we plan, we leave room for the input of God because we have no idea what tomorrow brings. And what I want you to take away from this this morning is that when you transition from depending on your stuff to trusting the promises of God, you've made another step in going the right way in a wrong way world.
Let's pray. Father, we know that we are finite beings and that as we look at tomorrow, we do not know the end from the beginning, as your word says you do. We do not know what you're planning, how you'll intervene, what you need to do for others and not just for us. But we thank you for the promise that if we seek first the kingdom of God and if we seek to exemplify your right way of living, that you're going to provide the things that we need, even if they're not the same thing that the Joneses have down the street. We thank you for that promise. And we haven't always trusted that promise the way we would like to have. We thank you also for the promise of forgiveness. We thank you that the penalty for that discretion, indiscretion, was paid by Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise that when accounts are called, our balance will be zero. We thank you for the promise that as we live that out in our lives, you will take care of us. And when new things come up that we didn't see coming, you will provide the need to cope with that. And help us to be trustworthy with the promises that you've given us. I ask you, in Jesus' name, amen.